A note from Robert P. Rabbit, 1. You are probably wondering why I insist on having everyone call me by my full name. Well, it's pretty simple, actually. You see, my mother had 26 children, which is fairly normal for mother rabbits, and my father, Bartholomew, had always wanted to be named Robert, so he told my mother that if she had a baby boy, Rabbit, she should call him Robert. Well, he forgot to give her any other names, and she kept having little boy rabbits, and they always seemed to come while he was away gathering food. So every time she had a boy rabbit, she named him Robert. She had 26 boy rabbits in a row, all named Robert. Since we all pretty much look alike, they needed something to tell us apart, so my father gave us each a different middle initial. Since I was the 16th baby boy rabbit, you guessed it, I got the initial P. When I call to my next oldest brother, I say, Hey, Robert Q. Rabbit, you want to play tag? When I call to my next youngest brother, I say, Hey, Robert O. Rabbit, you want to put a frog in father's bed? It seems to work pretty well. In case you're wondering, our mother finally had a baby girl rabbit, little rabbit number 27. But don't worry, she wasn't named Robert. Actually, her name is Roberta. And since she is the only girl, she doesn't need a middle initial at all. Chapter 1. A Strange Visitor It was a dark and stormy night in the Appalachian Mountains in the town of Tallulah Falls, Georgia. Katie and her good friend Robert P. Rabbit were peering out her second-story bedroom window, watching the driving rain pelt the window so hard that she thought the glass might break. The wind was blowing and howling so fiercely through the trees that they swayed back and forth, looking like giant monsters angry at each other. In the distance were flashes of lightning, followed a few seconds later by tremendous clashes of thunder that made them jump even though they knew the noise was coming after each flash of light. "'You know you can tell how far away the lightning is, don't you?' said Robert P. Rabbit. "'How can you do that?' asked Katie." As soon as you see the flash, you start counting like this. One second, two seconds, three seconds, four seconds, until you hear the thunder, he answered. Then, for every second you have counted, the lightning is one mile away. Let's try it, said Katie, and she did. After the next flash of lightning, she counted three seconds. Wow, she said, that lightning is only three miles away. That's too close. You're right on both counts, said Robert P. Rabbit, and I hope it doesn't get any closer. Just then, as another flash of lightning lit up the sky, Katie saw something strange at the foot of the long driveway that leads past Grandad's cottage next door. Look, Robert P. Rabbit, she exclaimed. There's a big car coming up the driveway. It's not a car, said Robert P. Rabbit. It's some kind of a truck. As the vehicle got closer, they could see that it was white with red stripes down the side and a stripe of red across the top, and something printed in backwards writing across the front hood. That's strange, said Robert P. Rabbit. Why would they write something backwards on the front of the truck, and what does it say? It's an ambulance, cried Katie. That's what the writing says, and it's written backwards because then, when it comes up behind a car and the ambulance wants to pass, the driver of the car in front can see the writing in their rearview mirror, and they will see it says ambulance. Why don't they just write it forwards? asked Robert P. Rabbit. If they did that, 
Then when a driver sees it in their rearview mirror, it would look backwards, and the driver wouldn't know what it says, because it's hard to read words when they are written backwards. So if they write it backwards in the first place, then when the driver sees it in the mirror, it looks correct, explained Katie. Well, it's stopping right in front of Grandad's cottage, said Robert P. Rabbit. I don't know why it's doing that. This certainly isn't a hospital, and isn't that where ambulances usually go? Well, usually they go to pick up a sick or injured person first, said Katie. This is scary. I hope Grandad and Polly aren't hurt. Just then, the side door of the ambulance slid open, and through the rain they could see a man in a wheelchair come out on a platform that lowered the chair to the ground. At the same time, a large, rough-looking man got out of the front passenger side and held up an umbrella over the man in the wheelchair. And another man got out from the back of the ambulance and just stood there. The driver came and detached the wheelchair from the platform and started pushing it toward Grandad's front door. Wow, he must be really important to have three men helping him out, said Katie. But I wonder why he has to be in an ambulance, Robert P. Rabbit said and only one of the men is wearing a blue medical coat. The other men look pretty tough, especially with their black overcoats, hats, and umbrellas. As the men arrived at the front of the cottage, the door opened, and Katie and Robert P. Rabbit could see Grandad welcome them like he knew exactly who they were, and maybe he was expecting them. From the light on Grandad's porch, Katie got her first good look at the man in the wheelchair. He looks grumpy, said Katie and he must be at least a hundred years old, and he doesn't smile at all. And he doesn't seem very nice to the men with him, Robert P. Rabbit added. He's motioning for them to go back to the ambulance. He isn't letting them come inside Grandad's cottage with him. He must not want them to hear what he and Grandad are going to talk about, said Katie. Katie and Robert P. Rabbit stayed at the window for at least another half hour watching, but the old man didn't come back out. The ambulance driver had gotten back into his seat, and they could see him smoking a cigarette the whole time, as every time he sucked in some smoke, the end of the cigarette turned bright red. Strange for a medical man to be smoking, said Robert P. Rabbit. Doesn't he know how bad that is for his health? As for the other two men in the dark overcoats and hats, one of them stood at the back of the ambulance, looking down the driveway and the other stood in the walkway looking all around as if he were expecting someone else to show up. It looked like they were there to keep anyone else from being able to get into Grandad's cottage, and they didn't even use their umbrellas, keeping their hands in their coat pockets like maybe they had a weapon or something like that. If they wanted to be able to get to it quickly, they could. We've got to quit thinking like detectives, said Katie. It's scaring me. Just then, they heard Mom coming up the stairs to check if they were asleep, so they jumped into Katie's bed and got under the covers as quickly as they could. When they heard her close the door again, they began to talk about all they had seen and about how they would talk to Grandad first thing in the morning to find out from Grandad what this night's mysterious events were about. The lightning and thunder had drifted off to the east, and the rain was now just a steady downpour. Since the roof was slanted just above the head of Katie's bed, it wasn't long before the steady noise of the rain running off the roof put both her and Robert P. Rabbit to sleep. Meanwhile, at the time they were watching the cottage where Polly and I stayed when we visit Katie's family, I had been reading World Magazine on my iPad when the knock at the door came. Had it not been so loud and steady, I would have thought it was a tree branch being blown against the house by the storm. 
I had been contacted by a man who said he was coming to see me this day, but I didn't think it would be in such a storm. When I opened the door, there he was. He was an old man in a wheelchair, getting wetter by the minute in spite of the umbrella being held over him by a rough-looking man in a black raincoat. I need to speak with you alone, said the old man, so I have asked these men to wait outside. But it's raining so hard, I protested. That's okay, he said. I'm paying them enough money that it shouldn't bother them. So in he came, and I closed the door behind him. Besides, the man said as I wheeled him up to the kitchen table, I need them to make sure we will not be interrupted by anyone who might seek to harm either of us. Well, that statement worried me a little, as I couldn't imagine why anyone would want to hurt such an old man, or myself for that matter. I offered him some mint tea Polly had made, which seemed to warm him up a little, and he started to tell me his story. I'm sorry to appear rude, he said. Let me introduce myself. I am Professor Nolan Robinson from Auburn, Alabama. I am 86 years old, and my doctors have told me that I don't have much time left. That is why there is some urgency in what I'm going to tell you. Is that why you came in an ambulance, I asked? Not exactly, he said. I use an ambulance when I go places so that everyone will get out of our way and I can get to where I'm going much faster. I thought you could only use ambulances when you were on your way to a hospital, I said. Well, in my condition, I'm always on my way to or back from a hospital. It's not a matter of if I need to go, it's just a matter of when I will go. I decided I needed to change the subject from his health if I was going to find out what this was all about, so I said, When you called, you said you needed to talk to me about something that could change the entire world, but for the life of me, I don't understand how that could possibly be true. It's because you hold something that is considered the rarest item on earth, more rare than any diamond, ruby, or other precious stone, and more valuable than gold, he said. I was a scientist with NASA in the 1960s when America was conquering space and going to the moon. I was in charge of a very special project that hardly anyone ever heard of because there weren't really any results. But now, more than 45 years later, we realized that we had unknowingly made a discovery that could change the world, and you hold the key to it finally being available to all mankind. You are going to have to explain that one to me, I said, not really certain I wanted to hear the answer. The old man leaned back, took another sip of his tea, and told me the most amazing story I've ever heard. (laughs) 